Hi, Ron here and welcome. We love that you've come to join us here and listen to a lot of our episodes. Please help us continue with this by supporting us through either joining the Barack Center at thebarackcenter.com or joining us at the Fringe Church at thefringechurch.com and sharing and donating through those sources. And once again, thank you for joining us today. Well, good morning and uh, welcome back to Revelations chapter 1. We're at the ninth verse. John, your brother and partner in tribulation, in the kingdom, and in that steadfast endurance which life in Christ alone can give, was on the island which is called Patmos for the sake of the word given by God and confirmed by Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. John shares the tribulations of his people. He says, I have shared the tribulation, the kingdom, and the steadfast endurance that only Christ can give us. Now, those three things are, in a sense, the hallmark of Christian spirituality at any time, not just in a time of suffering. To use Paul's images, which this reflects exactly, Paul says we share the cross of Christ, we, we enter into the cross, that's sharing the tribulation. We share the resurrection, we share the kingdom, and we are redeemed in hope, that's the patience. So this is just, you know, John is really going quite Pauline at this point. You know, the cross, the resurrection, and saved in hope. Saying, yep, the tribulation, the kingdom, and the steadfast endurance. The constant reality that we live in a world that hurts, even though we've touched God himself and know some strange and wonderful foretaste of his salvation, we, we don't have to convince ourselves of this. It just lives in us. We know that we are the children of God. Our spirits testify with the Spirit of God, crying out, Abba, Father. And yet, man, we are anything but saved yet. It still sucks, to be really honest. Now, one theologian called this the interplay of the now and the not yet. The things that we have and the things that we wait and hope for. So to use an old explanation that I really like, all three of these things are true. We have been saved. We are being saved. We have yet to be saved. They're all true. We have been saved. Yes. We are being saved. I don't know how you're going, but I know that's right for me. And yet there is so much about our lives that has yet to be saved. Looking forward to that. Can't wait. Now and not yet. That's what Christian life is like. That's Look that up if you want. There are whole books written about how do we live with this strange thing where we have this foretaste in our hearts of the world that is to come, where we have these beautiful experiences in prayer and worship, where we discern it, 
We have this book, the scriptures, that just paints the picture for us. We have friends who come back with near-death experiences, and yet life is still so rotten so often. Yep, John says, well, that's where we live. So get used to that and learn to live in steadfast endurance. Now, Patmos was a fairly normal place of exile. Probably there was a community of exiles there. Now, one of the things people don't realise about the exile centres, the gulags of the Soviet Union was, in some ways, they were the last bastion of freedom because people got there and there were all these dissidents and thinkers and intellectuals and poets and politicians and people, and they would get together. It was incredibly stimulating. It was actually, you know, intellectually and, and spiritually, some of the best places in the Soviet Union. Um, Patmos may have been a little bit like that. There may have been a, a community of people who just been flicked over there and said, just stay there and rot. And, 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 you know, this strange community. So anyway, whatever's going on, John is there. Now he says, I was in the Lord's day when I started seeing these visions. Now there's two possibilities for that. One is, it was Sunday. Sunday was called the Lord's day. It was the resurrection day. It was the, the little weekly Easter that the church has celebrated ever since the first Easter. In which case, John, I can't be with you physically. We are going to go to worship together and I will be in the spirit at the same time as you are in the spirit and together we will come before God. That's a possibility. A more exciting one for me, and the one that I hope is right. Annually, there was a day called the Lord's Day in the Roman Empire. This was an annual feast day in honour of the Roman Empire. Now, if that's right, and I really hope it is, this is the first up your nose to Caesar from God. It's the Lord's Day. It's the great day of Caesar worship when God chooses to reveal to John this powerful vision of one who is the king of Caesars, the Lord of commanding people. Isn't that great? And, uh, and I just like that. John is looking beyond the Caesar worship, looking beyond that thing that is causing death and mayhem to his people. And on the day, sees Jesus is Lord. Well, he's told to write to seven churches. Now, this is the first of many series of seven in the book of Revelation. Seven is a number when you see it in the Bible. It tends to indicate something complete something perfect, something finished, achieved. So th there's a hint here. From God's perspective, the church is just great. It's just, it's complete. It's just lovely. So each of these churches, though, so yeah, look for the sevens as we go through. But each of the churches was a Roman assize town. This was towns that were centres and, and commercial and political centres and the worship of Caesar was strong in them, necessarily, because this was where citizenship really, really mattered. And the churches are living in these quite hostile places. The churches, however, are portrayed as lampstands. Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. And John is just repeating that. You are the, the lampstands in these towns. And Jesus walks among you. In this way, John is affirming that Jesus has not failed his promise that he will be with us 
to the end of time and nor will he forsake his church. He is right in the midst of them. They may not feel it, but they are the light of the world. The emperor may think he can demand universal worship. He can't. Let's pray. God, our Father, many things to pray for this morning. I love John's description of this experience. I was in the Spirit. Father, we don't expect to see the visions of history and the end times, but Lord, could you teach us to be in the Spirit? Lord, in that place of utter availability to you, where we start to see things the way you see them, where we feel the power, the glory, the promise of the world yet to come flooding into our very being. Father, where we understand ourselves as priests to our God, the lamp, the light of the world, the, that thing that shines for the glory of God where we live and where Jesus walks among us. Father, we want to pray for every time we gather for worship, Lord, that we will increasingly have that awareness that by your Spirit you walk among us, that as we give ourselves over to living, praying, singing, worshipping in the Spirit, our eyes are going to open up. What Paul prayed, that the eyes of your heart may be open to see the lavish grace that surrounds you, the hope to which you are called, and the power at work in you, the same power God used when he raised Christ from the dead. Lord John was in the Spirit. Take each of us there to whatever purpose you would have for us, God, but we too want to see Jesus. This we ask in his name. Amen. I'll see you in the morning. Thank you for listening to another episode. And please, don't forget to sign up to the thebarackcenter.com or thefringechurch.com and help support us so we can reach many more. Thank you again for joining us today.